morning, will you turn to Ephesians chapter 3? I'm going to begin uh, reading there in verse 1 in just a moment, Ephesians chapter 3. As you're turning there, uh, I was thinking this past week during Karen's and my trip a couple months back to Italy, uh, one afternoon we were strolling the streets of Florence. There were buildings on both sides and as we were making our way after lunch around uh, that beautiful city, um, this gentleman stopped me and got my attention. The first thing, I was glad he was speaking English because my crash course in Italian wasn't too great. Uh, but he came to me and he noticed a t-shirt I was wearing and he said, where did you get that t-shirt? Now, you have to understand, it was a creepy looking t-shirt, all right? It was blue, it had neon green, uh, print on it. It was an animal that was supposed to be a hill cat. And uh, so I told him, I said, I purchased this. Uh, it's the emblem of a minor league baseball team in the United States. He said the Lynchburg Hillcats. He was from Lynchburg. <laughs> and that's why he stopped me. Not that the shirt, the figure looks sort of crazy. He recognized it. And uh, we chatted for a few moments and left both amazed that we found somebody else from Central Virginia in Florence, Italy. But you know, I thought about what might have gone through that man's mind when he first saw that shirt. And you've probably been there when the unexpected uh, appears before you, you said it can't be. And then he broke through that doubt and approached me. And today, we're looking at the unexpected. God works in unexpected ways, the song Karen just sang. He worked through a virgin to bring in his Lord, to bring in our Lord into this world. Um, and Paul is writing here in Ephesians chapter 3, and we'll read it in just a moment. But he begins by talking about why he is in prison. And then he closes by basically saying, don't grieve over the fact that I'm in prison but it's in the midst of it that he gives that explanation why they shouldn't grieve is that God had given him a higher calling. And that calling was to express to the world what before that time was unexpected. Look with me at uh, Ephesians 3 beginning in verse 1. Paul says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, you have heard, haven't you, about the administration of God's grace that he gave to me for you, the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I've briefly written above. By reading this, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made known to people in other generations as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. So then I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on 
your behalf, for they are your glory. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word today, we thank you for just the fact that you loved us enough to send your son to this earth, that he lived a perfect life, that he was fully God and fully man, died a perfect death, rose again, and lives forever. Father, we thank you for your grace to Paul and for those of us who have trusted you, we thank you for your grace to us. And Lord, may it never be that your grace would be futile, but Lord, in our lives, may we show forth your grace as we carry the gospel to others. And we lift this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. You know, again, we're in a uh, uh, midst of series of messages on the book of Ephesians, and Paul is really continuing his discussion about the blessings that the Gentiles were now receiving. Now, up to the dispensation or the time when God uh, brought his son, Jesus Christ, into the world, before that time, there were prophets, there were people who were uh, prophesying about Christ coming. They had, we might say, a wide view of his coming. But now that Christ had come and now the Holy Spirit had come at Pentecost, Paul himself had been converted and Paul was saying that God was working in a way, revealing his mystery and it was this, that the gospel was for all people would come through Christ Jesus. And so he is speaking to Gentiles here and he's saying you're incorporated into one body. Now we need to qualify that. It doesn't mean that all the nations and all the people of all the nations, every single person, will be right with God, but what it is saying is that those who are in Christ, it matters not what nationality, you can believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I love looking at videos like we looked at earlier, because so many times we have a narrow view of what God is doing, but God is working beyond what we can even imagine. And so Paul is writing here in Ephesians 3, the first half of the chapter, and he's speaking about his role in his calling, in this work that God was doing. And he's talking about this ministry. He shares the content of his ministry, what it involved. And then he speaks specifically in verse 6 and verse 12 about the results of that ministry. So first, this, this morning, I, I want you to look with me that Paul states his position before God in, in response to this ministry his position in it. You just heard my wife sing. She's a, a great singer in my, opinion, my humble opinion, all right? But my wife, a follower of Christ, has a number of roles as a follower of Christ. Uh, she is my wife, and that's a tall task that she has. Uh, I hear that amen from John there. <laughs> She's a daughter. Uh, she is a daughter to her mother, Jenny. Uh, she is carries out that mother and grandmother role, and she loves that latter role. I tell you, we were on the phone with Karis yesterday, and she wants to talk to her Gigi. But also, she is the client services director at the Southside Pregnancy Support Center. And so these are the various roles. So in, at one time, she might describe her role as a mother and, and a daughter, as an employee, and all of these things describe her. Now, as we read about Paul's life, uh, most scholars would say Paul was single throughout his life. We know that from his writing on the discourse of marriage as he wrote to the Corinthian church. But Paul was a follower of Christ, and in that 
following of Jesus Christ, he expresses three distinct roles that he has, responsibilities. You may remember Paul uh, was saved on the road to Damascus. He was headed to work against God. God got his attention and he began to work for God. And so from that point forward, he talks about his three roles here. In the first we see in verse 1, he says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. And so the first way he might describe himself is this, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now some would say, no, let me correct you, you're a prisoner of the Roman Empire, and that would be true. Because physically, he was being detained in Rome. He did not have freedom as a result of that. But there was more to it than just his physical imprisonment. Because he does say here that he's a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He was no more free from Christ than he was from the Roman Empire. In fact, we might argue he was less free from Christ. Physically, Rome imposed change, but Paul's heart, was captured and controlled by Jesus Christ. His love, his passion for Christ, his compassion for the gospel was what controlled him, what consumed him. In the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah speaks of this inner compulsion that Paul is writing about here. In Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 9, speaking of his own, that is Jeremiah's own ministry of proclamation, he says, if I say that I will not speak in God's name, his message becomes a fire in my bones. I cannot hold it in. In the New Testament, speaking of the ministry, Paul writes there, the love of Christ compels us. Now that could be an objective genitive or a subjective genitive, which is just a fancy way of saying he could be speaking about the love Christ has for him and through him or his love that he has for Christ, that objective uh, part of Christ receiving that love. There's debate. However you say it, it was the love of Christ that compelled him. And so as he was imprisoned in Rome, make no mistake, he made a choice first that he would remain loyal to Christ. And because of that loyalty to Christ, if you want to get to the root of it, that is why he was incarcerated. And so as we look at it, we see first he describes himself as a prisoner of the gospel. We see his allegiance to the Lord. I wonder today, how's your allegiance to the Lord? Might you say that his love compels you that your love for him compels you? Might you say that I can't hold back the joy and the message that God has given me through Jesus Christ? But I want you to see a second way that Paul described himself. He was a servant of the gospel. Look at verse 7. He said, I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. That word servant is the same word from which we get our English deacon speaking of the office of a servant in the church. But he's not here speaking in the context of the ministry of the local church. He is using this term in general to say his heart is to serve as a servant of the gospel, that, that his life was consumed. Now notice he said, I was made a servant. When did that happen? It happened at that same road 
to Damascus and shortly thereafter. Because you remember that he was saved. And remember Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he helped him to understand that by persecuting the church, he was persecuting the Lord himself. And then as you remember, Paul was sent to Ananias and Ananias was to give him further counsel, further discipleship as what God called him to be. And simply put, God was saying in effect, now you've been working against my church. Now I'm going to make you an integral part of working to develop my church. And so notice what he told Ananias to say to him. He said, go for this man, Paul, is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israel. He was made a servant of the gospel when he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we come to follow Jesus Christ, God may not put us at such a strategic position as he did for Paul historically, but he has given each of us the responsibility to be a servant of the gospel. That when people see us, they see the gospel. That people don't follow us, that they follow Christ. That our light, that our salt, it, it, it draws people to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a servant of the gospel. But then there's a third attribute or way that Paul describes himself. He was a steward of the grace that God was given to him. Now, in my translation, that word steward is not used, but look at verse 2. He says, you've heard, haven't you, about the administration of God's gift that he gave to me for you. That, that word administration really combines two Greek words, and the idea is this, a manager of a household, one who is given charge over something that's not his own. And, and that was what he was given he says here, you've heard that God's grace, he gave it to me for you. Verse 8, this grace was given to me, the least of all the saints. And the grammar may not be great, but it was the leaster of all. It was, this, it was the way he could most describe he himself was nothing. To proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ. He said this grace, not only the grace of salvation, but the grace of being called to be the proclaimer of that message was given to him. It was given that he might discharge that responsibility, and Paul was faithful to do it. That's why in 2 Timothy, near the end of his ministry, he said, I fought the good fight, I've kept the faith. He considered very important this grace that was given him, regardless of what might happen to him physically or emotionally, to carry out that charge. And that charge was to proclaim, and then we see in verse 9, to shed light. For all about the administration of the mystery hidden for the ages. In other words, he was to proclaim and he was to be God's instrument to reveal the truth of the gospel. That which was formerly not known, now being known. And so Paul describes that trust. And so he's a prisoner of Christ. He's a servant of the gospel. But he's also a steward or a manager of the grace that was given to him. And he describes that trust that was given to him. Do you realize that every one of us has been given a sacred trust? The very life that we live is precious. And every day we decide how we will live it. 
For the person who doesn't know Christ or live for Christ, that person is accountable. But especially for the one who has believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been given the grace of God and the responsibility is not that that grace stop with you. We saw in that video a little bit earlier about a man who was so grateful because when the gospel came to him, it did not stop. It went out to hundreds. Would it always be that way? I wonder today, what are you doing with the grace that God has given to you? Now, Paul's ministry was unique. And Paul was called on the road to Damascus. And it was made very clear that he would be a servant to the gospel. It made it very clear that he would carry the gospel primarily to the Gentiles and to others. And so at that point in history, he carried the gospel of peace. But he's not on this earth at this time. That responsibility has been given to you and to me. But I want you to look at Paul's responsibility and how it compares to us. First, he carried the gospel to the Gentiles. In verse 2, he speaks of the grace that had been given to me for you. Not that the grace or the gift would stop with him, but it was to go through him to others. It's an inclusive message. The gospel is to move forward. I wonder today, is the gospel flowing through you? The gospel that came to you, is it flowing through you? I read a quote uh, by Dr. J. Carson. I don't know. He's probably passed away. He was from New York City. I, I want to give credit because God put this on his heart to say. But Dr. J. Carson, who pastored New York City, said this, Every person who is saved is either a channel through whom the Spirit of God reaches the unsaved or a barrier preventing the Spirit from his work. So we're either a channel or we're a barrier. We're a channel when God's gospel flows through us, when, when we are the light. When, you know, we are a barrier when, because of our own self-centeredness, our own sin, we do not use the grace of God the way God intends it. I wonder today, which are you? Are you one through whom the gospel flows, or are you a barrier? Paul was the former. In fact, it says that he preached the incalculable riches of Christ. When we pre preach Christ, and you'll see it in the message tonight in this song, it doesn't just stop with a little baby in the manger, but we are preaching Christ crucified, Christ resurrected, and Christ coming again, the incalculable riches of the gospel. I wonder today, are you that messenger? But I want you to see a second thing about Paul. Not only did he proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles, but he gave insight about the mystery of the Messiah. Now, the word mystery is used at least three direct times and one indirect time in the text. In verse 3 and verse 4, we see the word. In verse 9, we see the word. In verse 5, the word may, be, may not be used, but what is described was what was not formally known. And so mystery here is not something way out there. It's not something elusive. It's not something that is a perplexing enigma. But simply put, the word mystery in this context is this, something formerly not known that is now known. And just some of the things regarding this mystery as we look uh, through the text, it was a mystery, verse 5 tells us, to those who came before Paul. Notice what it says. This was not made known to people in other generations 
as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Secondly, it was a mystery even to heavenly beings. Notice verse 10. This is a mystery. It is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. Even the heavenly beings did not understand this mystery. And we read in 1 Peter how they were amazed at God's redemptive work into humanity. In fact, the scripture says that angels long to look into these things, the curiosity. We see four, or third rather, Jesus Christ is the subject of the mystery. Look at verse 4. By reading this, you're able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. That is the mystery, which is Christ. And so it was a mystery to those who came before Paul. It was a mystery to the heavenly beings. It is a mystery whose subject is Jesus Christ. But then we see that it was a mystery that is only grasped by Paul and by anyone by revelation. Notice what verse 3 says. The mystery was made known to me by revelation. Now, word order in our language may not mean as much as in some other languages, but in the original language here, the word order, the syntax meant a lot because the first part is by revelation. That's put first in the sentence, and that's for the place of emphasis. In other words, the only way someone will come to know Jesus Christ is by revelation, and that is by the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself said that he, the Holy Spirit, will bring to remembrance all that I've said. He will point others to me. And so somebody can't just say, well, I think I'll become a Christian. No, God takes the initiative by revealing the truth of Jesus Christ. It may be in your life now. You say, there's something going on in my life. I, I'm, I'm seeing some things I haven't seen before. I, I'm, I'm, things are new to me. Then that means that God is working to reveal his son to you. That mystery. Verse 9, God holds the mystery. And to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And then six, the mystery is essential to God's purpose. Look at verse 11. This is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the mystery is this, simply put. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came to this earth, died for you. And rose again. And he brings every person on this earth, Jew and non-Jew, to God through his death and resurrection. You will gain right standing with God only by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now up to that time, the Gentiles were just living their lives thinking, well, those Jews, that's just one sect of a religion of many religions. It wasn't on their radar. The Jews, they thought, we are the chosen people and everyone must first become a Jew before they can get right with God. And you see, it was a mystery. They had no idea that a little baby born in a manger would change everything. He is the answer. Jesus Christ. On Wednesdays in the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at the prophecies and the symbols in the Old Testament that point to Jesus as the Messiah. And it's an exciting thing. 
Let me just give you a brief preview. He is the seed in Genesis 3 who would strike the serpent's head. He is the Passover lamb who would take away the sin of the world. He is the scarlet thread, the red thread that was placed outside of Rahab's uh, window to spare her. He is the scapegoat taking upon himself mankind's sin. He is the prince of peace that Isaiah says and the wonderful counselor that we hear during this season. He is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 who died silently. He is the seed of David who will rule forever. I could go on and on, but you get the point. Jesus is the one. He's the one. He's your only hope. Paul wrote the epistle of Colossians around the same time that he wrote this letter we're reading now. He was in Roman imprisonment. That's why it also is called one of his prison epistles. And in chapter 1 of the epistle, Paul writes in Colossians, I've become the church's servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. And then he says what that mystery is. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. He is your hope. Have you believed in him today? I'm not saying do you have some type of mental ascent. I mean, with all of your being, do you say, Lord Jesus Christ, I'm trusting you. I believe in you. I love that Christmas carol that goes like this. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. He was speaking of Bethlehem, but the child who was born in Bethlehem, the fulfillment of God's plan was revealed. But I want you to see a third thing. After Paul describes his responsibilities with this gospel and what that meant as far as what ministry he carried out, he speaks of the Gentiles' newfound blessing. A couple of weeks ago, early in the letter, we saw as Paul rehearsed the benefits of the blessings of the Jews. They had the blessings of the promises, the knowledge of God through the law. They had the physical lineage, the forefathers, the ancestors from Abraham. Simply put, they were closer to God in opportunity. In fact, Paul speaks about them as being closer and those who were Gentiles being farther away. But here, Paul takes on a different tune. And we see the newfound blessings of the Gentiles. And they sound very familiar to the blessings that he attributed to the Jews earlier in the lesson. Look at verse 6. He said the Gentiles are co-heirs, co-heirs with Christ, co-heirs with the Jews, members of the same body, part of the family of God, brought in, adopted into the family of God, partners in the promise in Christ Jesus. Uh, in other words, brought into the covenants. But notice also in verse 12, we see it says, having boldness in confident access through faith in him. The blessings are found in Christ Jesus. As we close our study this morning, the beautiful mystery that we celebrate in this holy season is Jesus Christ revealed, God in the flesh. You want to know who the greatest missionary who ever lived? It wasn't David Livingston, it wasn't Annie Armstrong or Lottie Moon, as great as they were. 
the greatest missionary was Jesus because he came the greatest distance from heaven to earth. He came at the greatest personal expense in leaving everything in his heavenly position to come here, becoming a servant and giving himself for you. How could you reject such a love? Maybe today you need to say, I've been living my life for myself. I've been following my own path. I, I'm not saying I'm an evil person, but when I look at it, I'm not living my life for the Lord Jesus Christ. Wouldn't you come today and say, I want to stand with the one who died for me. The beautiful mystery that has been revealed. Jesus Christ, Lord of all. Maybe today you've already done that. But the question I have is not do you know him, but are you making him known? In us as a church going into 2023, are we going to be the type of church that just tries to keep our doors open, just tries to accommodate our facilities here, keep warm, keep well-fed here? Or are we going to be a church that's on mission, carrying the gospel in our community, carrying the gospel into the world? I don't know about you. I want to be like Paul. I, I, I want to be the type of follower that can say, Christ is what it's all about. Let's pray. Father, as we look to your word today, we thank you for the beautiful mystery, not something too perplexing to understand, but something that formerly was not understood, but now is, that the hopes and fears of all the years were met in Jesus Christ, Lord, the most central person in all of history, because he was fully God and fully man and died for us. Lord, if there be any here today who have not trusted him, I pray today would be the day. And Lord, if there be any here today who have trusted in you but are not being that conduit, not being that conductor that's allowing your love to flow through, I pray that would be the case beginning today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.